Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, May the 1st, 2023. It is currently 5 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. It's a new week. It's a new month. Are you excited? Does that even matter to you? Are you like, it's Monday. It's a brand new week. Do you get all excited for a brand new week? Do you? Do you like, it's Monday, a new week of, of opportunities, a new week of, of things that are going to be good or bad, a new week of unknowns. Do you get excited when it's the first day of a new month? You're like, I got a whole month in front of me. I'm excited. I don't know where things are going. Or do you just kind of shrug your shoulders and like, eh, it's another Monday. Time to make the donuts. It's another month. Yeah, time to go to work. Like you just, you don't give it much thought. I I don't know how you feel, but I know for me, since I've been doing the Bible study exercise podcast series, every new week, Every new every new week and every new month is an exciting time for me because it tries to get me to refocus and go, okay, we got another week of Bible study in front of us. Let's do this. And it always starts with a little bit of hope, a little bit of excitement. Maybe I'm a little naive, but I always think this is going to be, this is going to be the best week of Bible study ever. Or, hey, a new month comes along and I'm like, oh, it's going to be the best month of Bible study we have ever done. By the end of this month, there's going to be like 10,000 weekly people listening to the program. It's going to be like 7,000 people participating daily. Oh, I can't wait. And, and well, a lot of times it doesn't quite end that way, but I always think it's going to, but it's a new week. It's a new month and it's time to study the Bible again. So are you ready? Now I know where you, I know unless you're brand new, if you've been with us, I know you know where we have been. We've been working on the subject of temptation and you should know where we are going. We're going to continue to work on the subject of temptation for the next couple of weeks. We will, before we know it, this, this series will be over and we'll be on to a new Bible study exercise. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you are benefiting from it. I hope you're benefiting from the curriculum. We haven't made a lot of references to the curriculum, but I hope you are using it, reading it. And as always, if you're brand new, just email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Simply say, I would like access to the curriculum. I send you a link. You go to the link. You sign up. You email me back and say, I've signed up. Here's the name I use. I go find your name. And I'm like, assign all of the curriculum. Here's the daily discipleship guide. Here's the adult study guide, right? here. And I so I assign all of the curriculum and then it's all yours to use. Um, and the only reason I'm really reminding you is I got a notification today, you know, that we were charged for the brand new month. So we, we you know, it's, we're, we're we, we have to pay a monthly subscription, but we think, I think it's worth paying the monthly subscription to try to provide curriculum in the, into the hands of people that they can benefit from it to supplement what we're doing here. So please use the curriculum, right? And please use the curriculum. And also don't forget the PDF file that we've attached to a number of these episodes on temptation that gives you, uh, well, how a lot of people in church history have viewed temptation. I think it goes from around 1600, 1615, 1620 to what, almost up to 1900, uh, somewhere in the 1800s. A lot of uh, very important people in church history and things that they have written on temptation. So please utilize that. I will try to remember to attach the PDF file 
to this episode. I, I forget frequently, but I will try to do that. All right. With all of that said, are you ready? We have a brand new week in front of us. Okay. Now, this week is going to be one of those weeks where we're going to do a little looking back and a little bit of moving forward. But even our moving forward is going to be kind of looking back if you've been listening to my instructions carefully. Because last week I told you Deuteronomy chapter... Six and Matthew chapter four. In fact, I've been telling you Matthew chapter four now week after week after week. And remember what I always tell you. Remember, remember class, remember students. All right. I, it's one of those things. Uh, sometimes uh, I had uh, military instructors when I was in certain military schools, uh, they would kind of like pound their foot, right? When they were instructing, and that was basically a clue, you better remember this. Okay, well, I don't know what to do. I could pound my foot. I could hit the table. I could smack my hand. But when I tell you, here's the text, I've been begging and pleading with you from the very first Bible study exercise, and it will go on all the way until the last one I ever do. Please read and read and read the text, live in it, breathe it, feed upon it, think upon it, meditate on it, read it, read it, read it, read it. And if you don't have time to read it, get a Bible app and just let it read it to you over and over and over and over and over. The more you live in it, the more you see of it, the more you see of it, the more accurate your observations become, the more accurate your observation, the better chance you have of coming anywhere close to an accurate interpretation. There can be no correct interpretation without correct observation, but you cannot have correct observation until you spend much time observing. <laughs> okay, that, well, wasn't that, wasn't that deep? All right, so please, but if you've been doing that, this is going to be a weird week, right? This is going to be a weird week because we're looking back, but we're looking forward, but we're still going to be in Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew chapter 4. Ah, oh, did you not know? Did you know that? If you looked at the curriculum, you should know that. All right. So here we go. This week, starting Monday, May the 1st, moving forward, I want you looking at the following sections of scripture specifically. Are you ready? Deuteronomy chapter 6, specifically verse 10 to 15. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 15. And Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. In some ways, it's looking back, but in other ways, it's moving forward. But specifically, just look at those sections. Now, the curriculum wants you to look at a specific kind of temptation. I'm not going to tell you what that is. If you've looked at the curriculum, that's perfectly okay. If you haven't looked at the curriculum, do not look at the curriculum until you've read Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15, and Matthew 4, 8 through 11, five times each. If you haven't read them both five times, do not look at the curriculum, right? This is Bible study. This is not looking at what other people have studied, all right? Deuteronomy chapter 6, 10 through 15, Matthew 4, 8 through 11. Read them both five times, please, please, please. Then go look at the curriculum if you want to, and you'll see that they've got a certain, a certain temptation they want to focus on, right? You got that? That, that, that gets you a good start this week. Right? Just, and, and, I, and I know, I, some, not always, but every once in a while, either someone will say this to me in person or I'll get an email. And it always is more like, well, I mean, I read it. Almost like, well, how many more times do you want me to read it? And, and I'm always blown away by that because Christians, many Christians have this weird, weird mindset that you read it once or twice and 
you understand it. And that's just ridiculous. You can read it a thousand times. I don't think we can ever truly grasp the depth and all the things that are there. The more we live in it, the more we see. The more we see, the better we observe. The better we observe, the better we interpret. So please, five times each. Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15, and Matthew 4, 8 through 11. Now, someone's going to be really you know, try to be all wise and smart. You're going to be like, well, I spent all last week reading Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 4. Why am I going to do it again? Because that's what we're studying. <laughs> okay. All right. So no talking back. All right. Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15, Matthew 4, 8 through 11. All right. You got that now. That's your first assignment for this week. Simple, straightforward. You have two more assignments that you need to work on. This takes us back to Exodus chapter 17. And if you listen to yesterday's message that I preached at Victory Baptist Church, things didn't go quite as planned because I was going to dedicate Sunday school, Sunday morning, and Sunday night all to Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 4, which would have led us to Exodus 17. So Exodus 17, Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 4, you only got just one message and the other two were dedicated to the Song of Solomon. I apologize, that plan sometimes change. But I need you to go back to Exodus chapter 17. I know what you're saying. Wait a minute. You just said Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15 and Matthew 4, 8 through 11. I did. But I want you to add Exodus 17 there. I want you to add Exodus 17. And let's read. So Exodus chapter 17. So so your first assignment is Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 15. Yeah, Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15. And Matthew 4, 8 through 11. Read it, 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 read it. Right? After you've read them both five times, you can go look at the curriculum. Got that? The next thing I need you to do is turn to Exodus chapter 17. I need you to read Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through uh, one through 7. Deuter- uh, I keep saying Deuteronomy. Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7. Exodus 17, 1 through 7. I need you to read that five times. So you're going to be reading Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15, five times. Matthew 4, 8 through 11, five times. Exodus chapter 17, one through seven, five times. And then, of course, you can look at the curriculum, uh, unit two, session four, after you've done all of that. Now, if you don't, if you don't read, you don't have to read Exodus 17 first before you look at the curriculum, but you must read Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15 and Matthew 4, 8 through 11 before you look at the curriculum. Or you're, I don't know what's going to happen. You're, you're, something's going to happen, right? I I would challenge you to probably read Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15, Matthew 4, 8 through 11, five times each, and Exodus 17, five times, one through seven, before you uh, look at the curriculum. I think it would just be, it'll give you some some, uh, extra time in Scripture and Scripture alone. All right? Now, let's go to Exodus 17. I'm not going to preach my sermon from tomorrow, but I'm going to give you some homework. Here we go. Exodus 17, verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandments of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. 
Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide ye with me? Wherefore do, do ye tempt the Lord? This is a very significant assignment. All right. We've talked a lot about, we've been talking about temptation now week after week after week, right? For at least four weeks, for a, a minimum of four weeks, we've been talking about temptation. We've looked at it from so many different perspectives. But yesterday, I really tried to emphasize that in a roundabout way, the whole thing has been flipped. Instead of looking at us being tempted, now we have to look at how we tempt God. Now, the King James says tempt, others say test. How I need you to write out a practical, workable, clear definition of what it means to tempt slash test God. I need you to write out in very clear language, very clear, precise, practical language that you could give to anyone. If someone says, if they were reading the Bible, wait a minute, what does it mean to tempt or test God? What does that mean? How do I tempt or test God? I need you to write down exactly what it means so that anyone could look at their life and go, oh, wow, I've been tempting and I've been testing God. I've been tempting and testing God over and over and over and over again. And here are the three major ways I'm, I'm doing so currently. I need that definition to be very clear, very precise. What does it mean to tempt and test God? And when you write out your definition, please send it to me, newsif at yahoo.com. Here's, here's what I'm going to allow you to do, all right? I want you to try to work out your own definition. You can, and you say, how do I do this? Well, look at Exodus 17. Look at any cross-references where it talks about people tempting or testing God. Find every cross-reference. Read every reference about tempting or testing God. Look at it, put them all together and write out the best definition you can. Then stop, and then I want you to look up, you can look up five sources. You can look up dictionary, encyclopedia, you can look up commentaries, you can listen to sermons. Take all of those definitions of what it means to tempt and test God, and then see how you want to modify or add to yours. If you find one that you're just like, hey, this is better than anything I can come up with, that's okay. Just say, this is the best I could come up with, uh, and I got it from this sermon, this book, and just give me page number, give me a link, give me something so that I can see it for myself. But I, I would prefer, but I want you to try to write one out first. So I would do this. If you email me, give me the, the definition you came up with. And if you decided you want to go with the ones that you find, tell me which one you want to go with. But I still want to see what you came up with, right? I want you to struggle with this concept. Here, they're like, are you know, as, let me read the text. I don't want to paraphrase it. As Moses says to uh, the people, wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? They were tempting the Lord. Why are you tempting the Lord? Why are you doing this? Well, then can we tempt the Lord? How do we tempt? How do we test the Lord? We need to define what that means. We need to define it. You can look in the curriculum. Did they define what it means? I need a, I need your own definition, right? Then you can look up five sources and then try to, if you want to modify yours, edit yours, or you just want to borrow from another one, that's fine. But I want to see what you came up with. I want to see you. I want to know that you spent time going, what does it mean to tempt the Lord? What does it mean to test the Lord? If you know lots of other Christians, 
you're part of a social media group or Facebook or whatever, just contact every, just ask all your friends, what does it mean to tempt and test the Lord? What, I'd be interested to know what answers you come up with. What exactly does it mean in a practical way? Not, not something so theoretical that you're like, well, that sounds good, but I don't really know what that means because we want to make sure that we're not tempting or testing the Lord Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So what, what is your assignment? Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15, read it five times. Matthew 4, 8 through 11, read it five times. Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7, read it five times. Then look at the curriculum. Then I want you to write out your own definition of what it means to tempt or test the Lord. Then I want you to look up five sources and see what they have to say. And then I want you to send me yours and maybe a, the one, some, one of the ones you found that you think is the best one or says it better than you could. I know what you're thinking. So is that it? Can I go now? We're sit back down. Okay, you can't go. We're not done. All right, here we go. Here's another assignment. Stay in Exodus 17. I'm going to read this all again, starting in verse one. Here we go. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. Let me read that again. I just messed that up. Exodus 17, verse 1, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandments of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thee? And Moses cried unto the Lord saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. Now here's the part I want you to see. This part, verses five through seven is the part that's utterly fascinating to me, right? Because it just immediately stands out as somewhat crazy. These people are tempting. These people are testing God. They're threatening possibly to stone and kill Moses. I mean, these people are out of control. They're rebellious. They, well, what's wrong with these individuals? But then look what God does. Look at Exodus 17, 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people. Take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, uh, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go, behold, I will stand before thee uh, here, there upon the rock and Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock and there shall come water out of it and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the t- uh, children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, uh, is the Lord among us or not. I didn't read that yesterday, but you may want to, when you're trying to define what it means to tempt or test the Lord, let me give you a little insight right there. But, 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 but I'm not trying to help you. I'm not trying to help you. But notice what happens. This story is so fascinating to me. The people are tempting and testing God. They're threatening to kill Moses. This seems to show a lack of faith. It seems to show rebellion. It seems to show you know, a, a very sinful and ungodly attitude. And then God turns around and literally gives them what they are demanding, 
literally gives them what they want. You could almost argue like on one end, if you wanted to be very cynical, well, tempt and test the Lord and you'll get exactly what you want. Hey, hey, I'm we're tempting and testing God because there's no water and we want water now. And then they get the water right almost immediately, almost instantaneously. In fact, you could argue tempting and testing God works better than prayer. So in that way, the story seems odd to me. Like, why? You think you, because you're almost waiting for judgment. You're waiting for like, oh, judgment's getting ready to happen. They're getting ready to be smitten. They're getting ready to be judged. And then God's like, no, Moses, take your staff, take your rod, smite the rock. And then water comes out. And you're like, that seems weird. That seems odd. And I put forth a hypothesis yesterday. I put forth the hypothesis that if you look in the New Testament, the rock, the rock points to Christ. That seems to be clear in the New Testament. If you didn't hear yesterday, this is what, here's your assignment. Find New Testament references that reference Christ as the rock, right? There may only be one, may only be two. You can tell me how many, right? We looked at one yesterday. I'm not going to mention it. It's in the New Testament. Well, I was going to give clues. I'm not going to give any clues. Find it, right? Look at that passage that where Jesus is referenced as the rock. Look at it carefully and then consider, well, if Jesus is the rock, obviously this is a historical narrative. Moses is literally striking the rock, meaning if Jesus is the rock, the rock therefore is, it's a physical rock, but it's, it obviously pictures Christ. So here are people who are sinful, who are ungodly, who deserve judgment, but instead of them being smitten, Christ is struck and then water flows from him. I'm a sinner. Christ is smitten on my behalf and from him is living water, everlasting water. And if I drink of that, I will never thirst again because it's eternal salvation. Is this a picture in a roundabout way? I know it's a historical narrative, but based off, I almost gave away the the book, based off the New Testament referring to Christ as the rock, is it, do you think it's an accurate thing to say, wow, this is maybe a picture here. The people deserve judgment, but instead of judgment, they're not smitten. The rock is smitten. From the rock comes water. They drink and they live. I deserve judgment. I'm not smitten. God's God strikes his own son, smites his own son, and from his son flows water, living water, that is that bring leads me to brings me to eternal salvation gives me eternal salvation i'll never thirst again washes away my sin i want you to just meditate and think about that possible way of looking at it and i want you to see if you can flesh it out a little bit more can you flesh it can you clean that up a little bit are there other references that you would be like if christ is the rock right it, it, well, first of all, you got to establish Christ as the rock and then just see, do you feel that that works here? Because, I mean, I'm expecting after they're testing and tempting God, I'm expecting judgment. And it seems like, to at least, at least me, Moses smites the rock. Now, is there any significance that it's in Horeb? Is there any significance? I want you to just work that. I want you to just run with it. I know that that's not advancing. I know you're like, you were in Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 4. But remember, Deuteronomy 6 led us back to Exodus 17. So we can't just ignore this, right? 
Here's the people tempting and testing God. And I don't know about you, like, because I always try to read the Bible like I'm reading it for the first time. I try to forget, like, I try to read it like I'm reading, a, you know, a novel or something. And I'm sitting there like, oh, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. Okay, okay. Oh, no. God's going to tell Moses to raise the rod and boom, they're going to be struck down with, you know, I don't know, locusts, lice, frogs, giant f- balls of of ice who, who knows like you know fire and brimstone the, the ground's gonna open up and swallow them snakes are gonna bite them like i'm waiting for some kind of horrible thing and it's like no go go hit the rock and they'll get water look wait that that's odd <laughs> they, they're, they're tempting and testing you lord they're threatening to kill moses we'll give them what they want it, it just seems one of those things that makes you go hmm it makes you pause whenever i find a text that makes me do that i start looking well is there, is there a possible, is there a possible something going on here? And I always try to be careful with this. So I look in the New Testament. Ooh, Christ is the rock. Christ is the rock. And that passage that says Christ is the rock literally is connected to this story. Right now it begins to take a beautiful picture, right? These people are sinful instead of judgment. They're not hit smitten with the rod. Christ is. And from that smiting of Christ flows rivers of living water. That if we drink of him, we will never thirst again. That to me is a beautiful picture. Do you think it works? Do you think it works? Flesh it out. Add more cross-references to it. Just anything you want to say about it. I, I just want to, you, you say, well, what do I send you? Just any of your thoughts about it, any any cross-references, anything. Just just spend some time meditating on that beautiful picture. You can look up other commentaries. You can look anywhere else and see what they have to say about it. All right, there you, there you go. There, there, I, 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 that, that's your homework this week. Read Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15. Five times. Read Matthew 4, 8 through 11, five times. Read Exodus 17, 1 through 7, five times. Right? Then go look at the curriculum. And then I want you to go to Deuteronomy. I keep saying Deuteronomy. Exodus 17, 5 through 7. I want you to look at that story carefully. I want you to find in the New Testament the reference that points to Christ as being the rock. I want you to put that all together and see what you think about that kind of picture or type there. Now, it's a historical narrative, but it serves, and the New Testament seems to take it and point and uses it to point to Christ. So then if we read the story pointing to Christ, what do we see? Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15, Matthew 4, 8 through 11, Deuteronomy... Exodus 17, 1 through 7. I don't know why I keep wanting to say Deuteronomy 7. Uh, and then read them all five times. Read the curriculum and then work on Deuteronomy, uh, Exodus 17, 5 through 7. Why do I keep doing that? Uh, look at, read that and look at that whole possible picture. You'll need to find where Christ is referenced as the rock in the New Testament. And then just talk about it. Even if you don't email me, even if you don't discuss it with me, talk about it amongst yourselves. Husbands, wives, kids, strangers, friends, people who go to other churches. Just, hey, you're in talking about God's word, something we need to do more of. I'm going to try it one more time and see if I do it correctly. 
Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15, five times. Matthew 4, 8 through 11, five times. Exodus 17, 1 through 7, five times. Read the curriculum. Then look at Exodus 17, 5 through 7. Find in the New Testament where Christ is referenced as the rock and then work on that picture, that possible spiritual imagery. And let me know what you think. New week, new month. Before we know it, May will be gone. This week will be gone. Before we know it, this study on temptation will be over. Let's not look back and regret that we didn't make the most out of it. Let's get the most out of it by doing the most that we can. Thank you for listening. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a wonderful, wonderful Monday evening. Thank you for listening. God bless.